Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, episode number 85. At the time of this recording, Bitcoins are trading at $654 each. And listeners, before we get started with the show, I'd like to share with you a website I visit daily that will help keep you up to date with live streaming cryptocurrency prices. Check out CryptoCompare.com. This is the best resource I've been able to find for getting a bird's eye view of cryptocurrency prices and trends and for gaining valuable information about mining equipment, wallets, and a whole lot more. Bookmark it now. CryptoCompare.com mm, mm, mm. Now that's gravy. <laughs> Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, and thanks for joining me as I podcast from Nashville, Tennessee, the Bitcoin center of the South. I'm here each week with my trusty dog, Maxwell, right by my side. Say hello, Max. <laughs> We're two Bitcoin fanatics who love talking with people about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and sharing what we learn with you, the listener. Longtime listeners, thank you once again for supporting the show with your tips. And new listeners, we hope you enjoy the show. On today's show, I am privileged to be speaking with Andrew Wagner, a hunter coin evangelist living in Vancouver, Canada. Andrew was kind enough to break away from his gaming console to spend some time with us by giving us the inside scoop about hunter coin and what may just turn out to be the future of gaming. Listeners, today on the show, I am thrilled to welcome Andrew Wagner, a genuine hunter coin evangelist. But I should also say he is an evangelist for Bitcoin and for cryptocurrencies and blockchain tech generally. Andrew Wagner, welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy. Uh, nice to be here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great to have you. Now, let me ask first, I always ask my guests, where are you right now physically? Vancouver, Canada. Vancouver, Canada. Wow, man. What's the weather like up there? Rainy as always. <laughs> is Vancouver known as one of those Seattle-like rainy cities? Yep, that's that's the Seattle of Canada. That's how it is. Oh man, <laughs> the Seattle of Canada. Is there a Nashville of Canada? Uh, no. There's a Texas of Canada. What's the Texas? Uh, I guess that's Alberta. Oh really? <laughs> so, listeners, Andrew contacted me a few weeks back, and I've been so busy that I'm just getting around to interviewing him. And I'm having some Pro Tools problems and all of that, but we're making it work by way of Skype. So if the sound quality is a little less than normal, uh, that is what it is. But anyway, I'm very excited because Andrew contacted me and he introduced me by way of email to something called Hunter Coin, which I had not heard of before. And he said, it's a coin for gaming. And I thought, you know, I'm not into gaming. I didn't grow up with that. 
And I expressed this to him. I said, you know, to be honest with you, I'm not into gaming. I think that it's a big waste of time for kids. I think that kids should be out playing, throwing the football around or playing croquet or whatever they like to play. But Andrew, you responded with a very thoughtful email that basically when I was finished reading your email, I thought, man, I've got to get this guy on the show because I think maybe gaming and that whole world is not quite exactly what I imagined it to be. But moreover, one of your points was that it's here to stay and it's a part of our culture. So how can we use what we know in the Bitcoin world? How can we use blockchain? technology? How can we use cryptocurrencies and incorporate them with gaming, right? So I think that's one of your interests. So if you would, please, I'll shut up here for a minute, I promise, and give our listeners a background about uh, your life when it comes to gaming and then also when it comes to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Well, uh, I am of the age where gaming has been a part of my childhood. Uh, I grew up in an urban area and I had uh, two parents who both work and, um, you know, my, my father had video games and knew how they worked. And uh, I guess we just saw it as another medium. Just like there's, there's good TV and there's bad TV. There's stuff you'll let your kids watch and stuff I hope you won't. Video games should be treated the same way. Um, and, uh, you know, it can get out of hand for some kids. And it's really, you know, there are kids who watch too much TV, too. I usually see that as stemming from alternative problems in their lives or at home. And those kids will find something to obsess about or get lost in. But uh, treated correctly, there's a lot to learn from video games. Uh, I actually learned to read from playing video games as a kid uh, just because I needed to understand the storyline. And my father refused <laughs> to keep reading it for me, basically. <laughs> Um, and we can do the same thing, just like we can teach reading or math or history with a video game. We can do the same thing with blockchain technology, which is something I got passionate about uh, in my very early 20s, um, years ago, at a, around a couple dollars or so. Um, you know, and just just in the act of playing this game, uh, a kid or anyone really would happen to learn about blockchain technology and smart contracts and decentralized technology in general. Um, just uh, observing how the game is played it would be educational. Like if I, well, I'll probably talk about it on the show shortly, you'll probably hear what I'm talking about. I can't discuss the way the game works without saying the words uh, block time, transactions, stuff like this. My story with Bitcoin is pretty involved. Uh, I, I've been an evangelist. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Vancouver's budding scene of merchants who accept Bitcoin. We had the world's first Bitcoin ATM up here. We had the world's first Indian restaurant to accept Bitcoin. Uh, I've just been going around convincing businesses to do that. Um, well, but before Bitcoin, I ran an ESL group, which I still do. We have about 16,000 likes on Facebook, 6,000 members on Meetup. So I know a lot of local business owners. When you say ESL group, for me, that means English as a second language. That's correct. That's a huge industry in Canada. Okay. Multi-billion dollar. Okay. So I just happen to know lots of pub owners, cafe owners, and places where ESL events occur. 
And I used that as leverage and one day told them that I was only going to host events at places that take Bitcoin. And uh, it was excellent leverage because we can bring 300 customers a week to a place. And uh, that turned out to be really popular with the Bitcoin community. They'd come to the restaurants and spend their coins and we'd have events and it made local media attention. And from there, I got into writing and uh, working with other projects like HunterCoin and CoinFest. CoinFest has been a lot of my time. Yeah, I've mostly just been spreading the word and teaching people about it. I used to be a math tutor when I was younger, so I find it enjoyable to explain things in basic terms for people. A lot of math types aren't good at that. Okay, and didn't you mention to me that you had learned something about mathematics through gaming? Oh, yeah, that's true, too. My dad got me Math Blaster as a kid. There's all kinds of things you can learn through gaming. When you incentivize a child or a person uh, with gamification to learn something, it's interesting how the human mind works. If you, you know, have a little asteroid and it blows up when they do four plus four correctly, just a little bright golden plus one or little flashy things like that tap into the reward center of the brain. World of Warcraft uses this to make you slay monsters. Math Blaster uses this to make you solve problems. Man, you've got exploding asteroids and monsters you can slay. And back when I was growing up, all we had was little smiley face stickers you'd get on your paper or a star. If you got, <laughs> if you got five stars, that means you'd done really, you'd done really <laughs> well. <laughs> yeah. Kids uh, get bored more easily these days, let me tell you. That is true. So, okay, now let's talk about HunterCoin. Start from the beginning, man. How did this whole thing start? Uh, HunterCoin is forked from Namecoin. Namecoin has an additional file, name.dat, which stores uh, domain names. Uh, It's just a folder that can store additional data. Mm -hmm. HunterCoin is forked from this and uh, has adapted this such that the additional data, instead of just domain names, will be interpreted as the game world. Um, You'll store the names of all the hunters in the world. Attached will be little uh, coordinates of their location and stuff like that. So all of the game data is effectively uh, stored on-chain on the peer-to-peer network. Nice. So this game, by the nature of how a blockchain works... This is where, like, you'll un- explaining how the game works is very integral with how blockchain technology works. Um, for example, the game is turn-based. The each turn lasts exactly the length of the block time, or rather, you know, on average, because block times are averages. Mm-hmm. Um, in Bitcoin, this would have been ten minutes. Um, your average gamer will not wait ten minutes for a turn to go by. Uh, that would be frustrating. We no, hundred coins is one minute. So every one minute, the entire game world updates. Uh, the game state, as we call it, updates. It's kind of like that's the lowest unit of time in the hunter coin universe. One minute. Okay. So it stores this game world, and you have your characters on it. If you want to interact with this world, you have to issue transactions. The analogy here is um, you've probably heard a lot about smart property on blockchains already, like on Bitcoin by a counterparty, for example. You've heard of that. Uh, The essence of that is they are issuing a Bitcoin transaction 
that inserts data into the Bitcoin blockchain that corresponds to non-currency stuff. Who owns this uh, colored coin property title, uh, token, crowd sale token, whatever they want it to be. Mm -hmm. uh, this is analogous here. Uh, you have to issue a transaction that states, uh, please change the coordinates of this hunter I own. And if you don't have the private key corresponding to that hunter, it won't listen to you. Just like in Bitcoin, if you don't have the private key corresponding to an address, you can't control that either. Same concept. And so I would issue a transaction telling, uh, move my hunter that way, uh, go this way. Or send coins, because you do have hunter coins that you can send around. So, the entire game can run peer-to-peer -peer in that sense. We have no server, like a game like World of Warcraft does, where they have a warehouse somewhere that uh, controls the game world, which they can use to ban players or adjust the economy. The hunter coin economy has to be more autonomous there's no and most video games today are actually have teams of trained economists running their in-game economy and in fact a game like eve online has such an advanced in-game economy and like central finance system that new research and economics has been produced through eve online Be because they the person the people in charge of their in-game economy which exceeds hundreds of thousands of dollars have just uh have had unforeseen events happen you know new things new ideas so you know in this one we have to anticipate things such that there's an equilibrium a balance uh, and hunter coin it's uh all revolving around human mining. Let's step back for one second, if I may, and ask about these gaming economies. So, you know, I think a lot of people think of gaming as just something you do for fun. Where are we in the history of gaming? On the one hand, play a game just for fun and for points and for the glory of being able to beat your brother or your sister at the game or have the highest score in your household or now have the highest score worldwide, let's say. But where are we between that just the thrill of having a high score and actually being able to make money playing a game. So when you talk about these gaming economies, are people who play these games actually earning money? And if so, which games and how does this happen? Some are, yes. Uh, it varies. The profitability of some games are greater or less than others. Some intentionally so. Um, I used to play World of Warcraft, which I, I don't anymore because now I have to be an adult. But um, back then, I used to trade on the auction house, which when I was younger was fun because I was interested in buying and selling and making money. But as a young person, no one wanted to give me a giant float to trade real money with. But in the World of Warcraft, I could save my gold and go buy every leather item on the auction house and corner that market, which I did. Uh, I was extremely wealthy on the Midoran server. But World of Warcraft prohibits players from exchanging their in-game money for real-life money. Players do this anyway on a black market. But the reason it's prohibited, officially speaking, is because then when the IRS comes to them, 
they can say that World of Warcraft gold is not real. If it were, the IRS would try to tax in-game transactions. So World of Warcraft claims it's not. Uh, EVE Online takes a similar approach, and this severely limits the value of in-game assets. Uh, you have to go through the black market, and there's no guarantees or safety in exchanging those goods at that point. And if they catch you doing it, they have a central server for the game, and they'll ban you. Mm, wow. Um, and some some games are more tolerant. Uh, the most famous would be Second Life, Linden Dollars. There are people who have made millions of dollars in the real estate industry in Second Life. Wow. Yeah, no joke. Um, real estate, virtual real estate barons. And I would surmise that at the rate at which 3D technology is advancing, a lot of people are going to keep going that way. I'm personally not into Second Life because... Uh, I like to play games to do things I can't do in real life. That's why I don't play sports games. I'll go play some baseball if I want to play baseball. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, if I want to go do Second Life, I'll just go outside. <laughs> um, <laughs> so in Second Life, correct me if I'm wrong, you have a Second Life and you can go out and buy, if you have enough tokens or whatever, you can buy a new suit and you can buy a new pair of shoes and then you can go to a club if you have enough money, you can actually buy real estate so that you could have a penthouse in a big city or you could have a seaside vista. Is that correct? And you actually would be paying for this with the tokens that are in the game and those can be cashed in for real money. Is that how people are buying and selling real estate and actually making millions in the real world? That's correct. Uh, the Second Life team tolerates a larger degree of exchange between uh, real fiat dollars and their Linden dollars. Wow, that's wild stuff to think that somebody is actually spending money. Do you know any of the uh, stats as far as like what properties in Second Life are going for? Uh, everything is generally less expensive than the in real life equivalent. I hope so. But uh, there will still be stuff that can get surprisingly pricey. Um, I don't have any good stats off the top of my head because I'm not personally into that game. Uh, unfortunately, the games that were more my style are more controlled in letting you exchange with real-life items. Yes, well, let's leave Second Life behind because that sounds really weird to me. I guess if you don't have the feeling that you have a first life, or maybe for some people if they're severely disabled and they you know, are in a... Actually, there are a lot of players in that condition. And like I said, video games are a tool. Like, what if someone is disabled and that actually is a thing that they can't do in real life because they're not of the same ability physically that we are you never know where someone is in their life but yeah yeah and that would be great that they could go out and they could actually do things and i would think that that would be very fulfilling in many ways uh, for people who are capable of going out and do things if you're listening i would say um get out and do things but anyway okay <laughs> <laughs> so okay yeah continue on the entire blockchain i mean there's a lot of budding blockchain games now, and they're all of varying degrees of decentralization. HunterCoin I like because we're on the extreme. HunterCoin is completely decentralized. There is no server whatsoever. Mm, nice. Um, there are some games that have a server for play, but use a blockchain for tracking game assets. Spells of Genesis is a great and successful example of that. They had a crowd sale. Um, so... They're kind of a hybrid. They're your properties on the blockchain in the game, so you can exchange it more freely. 
But technically, they could ban you from their play server, although they could not stop you from setting up your own play server. Hmm, interesting. This is interesting. A hunter coin at the extreme uh, has no server, and also, so not just game assets, but the map, tiles, everything on the blockchain, which is, um, it's actually an interesting engineering feat. Human mining is the idea that um, instead of all new coins that are being generated going to hardware or people staking, they go to the players. And we don't call it proof of play because these players do not confirm transactions via the act of playing. Doing so would allow someone really good at the game to 51% attack the network until we have well more than enough players. And there, it's also just a technical fleet because not any work can be proof of work utilizable. Otherwise, we would have Bitcoin solving cancer and stuff like that. Right. So in the game, the money supply, the majority of it is dropped inside the game world. So players are competing for it. So it costs uh, right now around 200 hunter coins to create a hunter. Although if he, if he doesn't die, you'll get them back. And you want to collect the coins littered across the map. Uh, some parts of the map will have way more coins than other parts. And these will be the hot spots for player versus player combat typically occurs. Uh, people fighting over the, the more lucrative coin supply sources. So it's kind of a self-regulating economy. Um, we still have miners. I think it's around 20% goes to miners, which I think is I think is merge mined with Namecoin. It's a dual system, Shaw and Script. So people will play the game, and if you play well, you can make coins playing it. Uh, if you don't play well and you get all your hunters killed, you'll make a net loss. So it's kind of competitive financially. I wouldn't call it gambling, like poker or something, because there's not that sense of randomness it's very much skill based skill based right yeah i mean it would be more analogous to someone playing a uh, pool for money or i guess professional baseball or i guess kids in korea do that with starcraft now it's a growing thing people actually play games competitively in the real world call of duty or whatever now it's kind of integrated directly into the protocol and subsidized so it's kind of fun. And it also represents an alternative model. There's two traditional business models for a game like this. One would be you buy the game, then you play it as much as you want. That's one traditional model. You put 60 bucks down, then you can play. This episode of Bitcoins and Gravy is brought to you by our good friends at MoonshineBootWax.com. Made by hand in small batches right here in East Nashville, Tennessee, Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax is the original, all-natural, non-toxic boot wax with a scent of orange. Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax is a proprietary blend of American beeswax and other fine, all-natural ingredients. It's specially formulated to feed and protect your leather while also offering an excellent, long-lasting shine. Whether it's your cowboy boots, your expensive wing tips, or your wife's favorite pumps, Moonshine Boot Wax is a must-have for gentlemen who care about their appearance. 
Moonshine Boot Wax is proud to partner with Community Food Advocates, a nonprofit organization working to end hunger by creating a healthy, just, and sustainable food system. Together with Community Food Advocates, Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax is making a positive difference in the Nashville community, one shine at a time. You can buy your very own 4-ounce tin today by going to moonshinebootwax.com. And best of all, you can pay using Bitcoin. Another model, which a lot of games use now, is uh, a monthly fee. Okay. This represents an entirely new model where it's possible for a player to not really lose anything at all. You don't have to buy the game or pay a monthly fee. You just need to buy enough hunter coins to create a hunter and issue transaction fees. So it's an alternative, I guess, revenue model. You know, instead of a company collecting profits on sales or monthly fees and using that to upkeep its server and stuff like that, here we have players buying hunter coins, which drives the price up, which allows miners to sell their coins at a profit, which is now what sustains this game financially. Nice. Now, once you have a hunter, is the hunter basically just hunting for wealth there or for value there? Is that what a hunter does? Yep. He's traversing the map, trying to get the coins or the crown of fortune. We also are adding items to the game. We can put any item in the game. The only limitations here being uh, hardware, um, which I guess I'll get to in a minute before finishing, I guess, explaining the gameplay. Um, the crown of fortune is an item in the game, which, if you pick it up, uh, generates free hunter coins for each block you hold it, but eliminates your ability to attack people. People fight over it, leave it as traps. Uh, it adds an element of strategy to the game. The way people fight in the game is with the destruct command, and we're trying to look at more advanced gameplay, but right now our concern is... Um, limiting the hardware requirements. Right now, you can play this game, but it's going to run like 35 gigabytes because you are playing essentially a full node, a full copy of the blockchain you have to run to run this game. And you're running, the, you're running a game client that interprets the data on the blockchain as the graphics you see on the screen. Okay, so are most people using their basic CPUs, or are they using GPUs? What are most people playing with? Uh, this will be more difficult on your CPU and your network. Uh, the graphics are currently sprites, although one of the developers, and it's a very open-source community, some developers are going different directions, uh, interpreting the data on the Huntercoin blockchain in different ways. They can actually... You could make two different clients, one with graphics much prettier than the other one, for example. And that's already occurring. You mentioned sprites. Now, what is that? I uh, think old school Nintendo Sega. Okay. Sprite graphics. Uh, they're pixelated. They're often free on the internet, pre-made. You can download them and put them together in your game to flesh out a visual world. I see. And that's what happened here. They found some open source uh, sprite graphics. But... Most of the what's going to confuse your machine is on the CPU and just the nature of the nature of the architecture of this game. Um, games are actually designed 
modern games, Halo, Call of Duty, any anything with nice graphics is actually designed specifically with an understanding of the structure and design of your computer. It knows the architecture of computers these days and what kind of code will be more efficient for a CPU shaped that way. Um, but the design of a decentralized game is vastly different in various ways. And it's also very confusing on your network. For example, in World of Warcraft, they have a central hub somewhere on the internet that your computer connects to and that everyone connects to, like the middle of a branching hub. And that's great because the physical internet is actually structured that way. They can put an actual physical server at one of the points on the physical internet somewhere that is a hub. They probably position their servers strategically. But in this game, it's peer-to-peer. So you have to connect to the your central internet provider's physical hub and then connect to a peer who does the same thing out to a peer. It gets way more convoluted. So it can be demanding on your internet connect connection. Okay. Especially with uh, one block per minute. So right now, this is the update we're about to release that we're testing is uh, blockchain pruning. Blockchain pruning is a concept uh, pioneered by Bitcoin, which Namecoin is forked from Bitcoin and Huntercoin from Namecoin. So we've been, since Huntercoin's been lacking support, We've been updating Namecoin so we can fork it to update Huntercoin for them. Pruning is a technology that makes you not required to store a full copy of the blockchain. Um, Traditionally, you would store everything from the Genesis block to the current. Um, And your machine does a long series of pluses and minuses looking at all the ins and outs to calculate your final balance. Blockchain pruning is a system wherein instead of storing the whole history, they do all the pluses and minuses and s- calculate the sum up to much of a historical point and then just say that's a sum from there and then they delete the history and don't bother storing that anymore. I see. And this greatly reduces the amount of data you're required to store locally. Right. In Bitcoin, this was great because the Bitcoin blockchain is huge. But actually, the Huntercoin blockchain is already pretty huge, well over 30 gigabytes. So we have to do the same. And that'll bring us down to around 800 megabytes from 35 gigs. That's, that's pretty huge. And then we have to look at trying to do some like apps like on Facebook and the Play Store we would have to set up a server somewhere, kind of like how blockchain.info lets you connect to their server to connect to the Bitcoin network. Mm -hmm. One of our next steps will be to provide the same service for Huntercoin. So you can play the game like on Facebook, like people play Farmsville or whatever. I see. So this sounds in some ways different than some games. Some games use the same GPUs that they use for mining, and that just offers a lot of power that, basically fuels the graphics and you're not necessarily hooked into any server you're just playing your game in your system with amazing graphics that are starting to look like reality and real people and all of that is that right it is correct that 
the graphics cards used for gaming are often the same ones used for script mining in particular, like Litecoin, Namecoin, uh, but not SHA-256 like Bitcoin right. anymore. Anyways, that used to be the case. Um, you could take a sufficiently powerful gaming rig and mine a cheap altcoin with it if it was a script coin. Uh, and the reason is that your CPU is designed to do complex calculations, but your GPU, which does graphics, does very simple but very repetitive calculations, like mapping a pixel to a point. This one is red, this one is blue. And it's only hard because there's thousands of them. Right. But it's a simple operation. Mining is just that. You calculate a hash. If it's wrong, you do it again. Right. So it does one simple thing many times very quickly. Correct. Although currently our game is not heavy on your graphics card, so it wouldn't affect your ability to mine. It's not a huge issue because, you know, I mean, it's really two very separate things. Uh, there's no need to mine and play on the same machine. Right. I was just referring to, though, what people are actually using for certain games, people that have no interest in mining, they're using GPUs for playing their games. Are they using GPUs, or does it even make sense to use a GPU to play Hunter Coin? No. I mean, well, you need to possess one, at least with some minimal amount of power, to run the basic graphical user interface, but nothing fancy. A basic graphics card that comes with any... Yeah, anything. You know, just to run the basic graphics of Hunter Coin, but it's it's not going to be very demanding. No, nothing like you see with modern games these days that are super fancy. Right. So the idea of Hunter Coin is not that it's a super fancy game. So it would be fair to say that those gamers out there who are addicted to some of them, I'm sure, to the thrill of the graphics, maybe more than the cognitive side of the game. Those people maybe would look at Hunter Coin and say, this doesn't have the graphics that turns me on. I'm not interested in this. If that's the case, what kind of people would be more interested in playing Hunter Coin than the games that rely heavily on the graphics, more for the entertainment factor? Yeah, that's a good question. The gaming industry or community has a lot of different types. You know, you'll get your frat boy types who like Halo and Call of Duty and shoot 'em up games. And but there are a lot of really popular strategy game communities. One of the biggest is Civilization by Sid Meier. Hmm. Uh have you heard of that one? I have not, no. Civilization is a popular strategy game where you pick one of the various empires throughout history and start from the year four thousand BC and work your way to two thousand AD following uh, realistic historical and technological trajectory. You cannot play that game without learning various capital cities of countries and things like that. Mm. Um, it's a community of people who are more into, you know, they're probably all playing separately in their own basements. Or A lot of them are into history buffs. A lot of them are strategy buffs. Um, those types of people will probably enjoy Hunter Coin more. And people who like online worlds might enjoy the idea of Hunter Coin because it's so uh, autonomous. In World of Warcraft, you know, if you cheat the system, it's, you know, people will try, but you're never, 
know, at the end of the day, this this is their world. It's Blizzard's world. They can ban you. They can turn it off and on at will. Yeah. And the idea of one that is living on its own is really interesting, I think, to some people. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, just the whole concept of decentralized, not having a central server or not having a central point of failure, as some people look at it, or a central authority, I think that's going to be more and more appealing to people as time goes by. And I think that's because of uh, human nature, the nature to be greedy, uh, to want to monopolize, to want to make more and more money, or to want to have uh, more and more of a stake of a given industry in a given industry. I think that whether it's gaming or corporations or governments or whatever, I think they'll cut their own throats just you know, because they'll want too much and people will be saying, hey, I don't have that much to give anymore. I'm going to go over here where I can enjoy something very similar for much less. If you have a decentralized system that is not modeled after the greed, you know, factor of the human mind. Yep. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's almost kind of sci-fi in, in a way because the... We're creating a world where, you know, to the extent that we cannot control it and it operates on autonomous and self-regulating logic that almost makes it sound like an organism. (laughs) The definition of an organism is self-regulating is a term used a lot when we define life. And it starts to make you wonder, like, what is this world? Like, how real is this world? Yeah. And, I mean, those are trippy questions. I don't I don't foresee anyone getting lost in the world of Hunter Coin and not coming back because it's two-dimensional with sprite graphics. Right. But you see what I mean. Yes. It's an interesting question. It is, yeah. So sum it up for us. If someone's interested in getting into gaming, what would you tell them about Hunter Coin that might entice them? Or, you know, to the person who's been gaming for years you would say hey you know i know you love the graphics aspect of it and this and that and the thrill the shoot 'em up thrill of it all but what would you say to them that would appeal to them that might bring them over and have them you know maybe have a willingness or an interest in trying out hunter coin and then from there how do they try out hunter coin i think a lot of people are still attracted by the idea that they can get hunter coins in the game from playing um, and once we finish pruning, blockchain pruning, and make it more accessible to people with worse hardware, I think people in a lot of developing countries are going to jump on that because they can. Though that might have implications. Like in World of Warcraft, we have a problem where, not we, I don't play anymore, where uh, there were actual Chinese prisons who would use a labor sentence where you <laughs> give them a computer and tell them to do the most lame and boring part of the World of Warcraft game that makes in-game gold. And uh, it's foreseeable that that kind of thing could be done with Hunter Coin. You know what I mean? So you're telling me that you've heard that in China, for some people who were incarcerated for whatever crimes, they were actually put in a cell or a room or whatever with a computer, and they were told to do these... Did you say World of Warcraft? Yeah, pick the most boring, completely mind-numbing in-game task and do it for gold and sell it. It's uh, gold farming. That's a wild concept. So 
in these games, you can actually earn 100 coins. Now, 100 coins are traded anywhere right now online, currently on any of the exchanges? Uh, Poloniex. Oh, Poloniex. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. And uh, do you happen to know how 100 coin value has changed over time? Have they gone up? Have they been volatile like many of the cryptocurrencies? Have they gone down? Where, where do they stand right now? Uh, early on, they were it was doing pretty well, but development crawled to a halt when Nikhil passed away, and the price crashed. And then lately, when we were working on blockchain pruning and I was spreading the word, the price recovered a bit, and then Bitcoin skyrocketed, and uh, Hunter Coin crashed back down again, at least to BTC values comparison. And I think it's really it's really a question of. Uh, development manpower we need to hurry up and uh get updates out but it's not too bad we're not dogecoin or anything we're not dying <laughs> yeah it's funny because people say dogecoin's dying and, you know it may die but it also may be one of those ones that holds on for so long that and even though a single dogecoin is worth very little it's never been worth much of course but even if you know two years from now a single dogecoin was worth one-tenth of what it is now it's still, if it has volatility, if it has enough up and down movement, it's still a way to make money. It's still a yeah. way. Yeah, it's still a way to put some wealth there, watch it go up, watch it go down, buy or sell, and turn a little bit of a profit. So I think a lot of coins that people theorize will be gone or are almost dead. I think a lot of them won't be dead, but will continue to hang on just because they have a name and. Um, and because people own them and because people have been trading them for so long, I think personally, the longer a coin has been around, the more likely it is that it will still be around 10 years from now. So I think Litecoin's a good example of that. I think it will still be around 10 years from now. And of course, it's also, there's a certain amount of value or appeal to it, you know, dog that you have in the race based on whether or not you've been actively mining that coin people can get obsessed by a coin but yeah i think there are a lot of factors that will determine whether or not a coin like dogecoin ends up living and uh, i think some of them actually might surprise us just to clarify i like the doge not i'm a doge fan i, I want your listeners to know that because the sheep has a following gotta love a shiba inu i'd go to the dog park with max every evening and there have been three or four sheeps out there over the years, and uh, they're just great dogs. If anybody doesn't know the Shiba Inu, it's a very, very docile dog. It's active. It's fun. It's good around people. No human aggression. No real dog aggression. I'm sure if you raised an animal wrong, it can always have that. But if raised correctly, they're great pets. I have a dog, and he's not good with other dogs. What kind of dog do you have? Not sure. A mutt? Like an, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess I should mention, um, if someone does want to play the game, there's more than one client that they could download. And the easiest one is Mithril Mans. As I mentioned, this is a very open source project. I know all the developers, most of them pseudonymously. <laughs> it's very crypto. Some of them are very well known on Bitcoin Talk, uh, five-star contributors. Um, Wiggy's the one who's been working on updated graphics and adding extra items to the game. Okay. Uh, Domob is the one who's been implementing pruning and upgrading the core protocol. Okay. Uh, Mithril Man 
is the one who's made the best game client interpreting the protocol and putting the graphics and user interface for you to play with. So if you want to play the game and you're less tech savvy, Mithril Man's client is the one that's got you covered because you can download it and it's got a neat little tutorial with a friendly little in-game character who says hi and walks you through it. Oh, nice. So you've named some of the key players there, Wiggy and... The important one for new players, Mithril Man. His client is the one they need to know. M-I-T-H-R-I-L-M-A-N, Mithril Man. If you Google him with the word Hunter Coin, his download will probably come up. Nice, man. All right, well, this is good stuff, Andrew. It's been great talking with you, man. If you would do me a favor and send some links to some of what we've talked about, that way our listeners can easily find out more about Hunter Coin and also hopefully try their hand at playing. And uh, who knows, you might be playing against some of the people that were introduced by this interview. Listeners, you've been listening to Andrew Wagner, a Hunter Coin evangelist and a gentleman who is active in gaming and active in the Bitcoin world and who is living there in Vancouver and spreading the word of Bitcoin around the Vancouver area. Andrew, I tell you what, if I'm ever in Vancouver area, we definitely have to get together and have lunch. We have a hack space. It's pretty cool. We got a Bitcoin beer vending machine. Oh, Bitcoin beer vending machine? Yeah, it accepts Bitcoin and dispenses beer. Well, that's very cool, man. So that's actually a really good reason for me to get up there and uh, spend some Bitcoin in Vancouver to use the Bitcoin vending machine. Wow, man. Is it good beer? Uh, no. I'm going to tell you straight up. But if you do come, there's a Bitcoin hotel in the city, too, I believe. Oh, nice, man. So you can use your Bitcoins to stay in a hotel. That sounds yep. great. We have a Bitcoin farm if you get hungry, need some groceries. A Bitcoin farm. I love that, man. Andrew Wagner, thank you so much for taking time to explain Huntercoin and uh, the world of gaming. I feel like I've actually learned a lot. Listeners, I hope you have too. Uh, Andrew, thanks for being on the show. No problem. Anytime. Take care. All right, man. You too. Bye. Bye. I and I, it's so crypto, man. The official cryptocurrency song. I hope all my brothers and sisters around the world will sing along. Look at the cryptocurrency, man, it's such a blurrency, a new one every day. They got the pump and dump, they try to make you a chump, you better watch your back, I say. I hear the troll box singing till my ears are ringing, I'm afraid just to go to bed. And I'm not feeling so well, tell me should I buy or sell? Oh no. I'm afraid to buy cause it might be too high, man Whoa. And I'm afraid to sell, you know, because it might be too low We got the androids talking and the dope coin smoking It's a thing, mama, you should see We got the popcorn, man, it's such a hot coin All the way from Denver to D.C. We got the hash coin, now we need a stash coin Or we'll lose it all, and that's a drag And I say blockchain, smoke chain I just like to get a bag I think I'm gonna fly to Denver I think I'm gonna get a real high Upon a bender, maybe find a heart that's tender Help me to lay down at night You know it's awful strange When another exchange is creeping in Like another bad sin 
It's a legitimate fear that it will disappear And you will never see your money again You tell me it's the right coin But it's just a light coin Maybe I'll have tea with Charlie Lee Oh baby, and it's blowing my mind Cause I don't know which one to buy Blowing my mind Cause I don't know which one to buy Blowing my mind I don't know which one to buy Oh Lord Oh, it makes me want to cry Oh Lord Ooh, I don't know which I want to buy Oh Help me, won't you, I and I Cause I don't know which one to buy Good Lord, I got my feet on the ground But man, my head is spinning around And all the world is crypto I'd like to thank my guest on today's show, Andrew Wagner. Andrew is Vancouver's preeminent hunter, coin evangelist, and all-around gaming aficionado. Andrew, all the best to you, sir, as you continue on your mission to bring hunter coin to the masses. Max and I are behind you 100%, sir. And I'd like to thank our sponsor, CryptoCompare.com, the absolute best resource on the internet for discovering new and exciting up-to-date information on the ever-changing world of cryptocurrencies. CryptoCompare.com, the best resource for cryptocurrency traders and investors here at the dawn of the age of cryptocurrencies. CryptoCompare.com. And an extra special thanks to our sponsor, Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax, the original all-natural non-toxic boot wax with a scent of orange. The Nashville Wax Company is now offering Moonshine Biker Boot Wax, yes, the same high-quality boot wax now available in black. And their newest product is Moonshine Miracle Residue Remover for removing stubborn, sticky stuff. It's like Goo Gone, but without the toxic petroleum-based chemicals. All Moonshine products are 100% natural and are available at 15 different fine retail outlets in the Nashville area, including the shops at the Nashville airport. To order a tin of Moonshine boot wax or a 4-ounce bottle of Moonshine Miracle Residue Remover, stay where you are. That's right, without even getting up out of your chair, just go to moonshinebootwax.com. Use your credit card, your debit card, or better yet, pay the modern way with Bitcoin. That's right, Bitcoin, the modern way to pay at moonshinebootwax.com. And finally, I'd like to thank my loyal listeners, hey, that's you, for tuning in and for giving me such great feedback about the show. Your comments in the show notes are always appreciated, as are the tips that you send to my Bitcoin wallet. I'm a hardworking guy with two jobs and without a lot of money, so every little bit counts. Even a 50-cent tip sent to my wallet goes a long way to making me feel that doing this job on a volunteer basis is worth it. It also helps keep the lights on and food in my belly. Signing off now from Nashville, Tennessee, the Bitcoin epicenter of the South, I'm John Barrett, the host of Bitcoins and Gravy, here each week with my trusty dog, Maxwell, by my side. Say goodbye, Maxwell. Until next week, friends, remember that the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing. Do something, y'all, and be proud of it.
Now climb aboard, y'all. This train is bound for glory. And there's plenty of room for all. Well, Satoshi Nakamoto, that's a name I love to say. And we don't know much about him, but he came to save the day. When he wrote about the way things are and the way things are to be, he gave us all a protocol this world had never seen. Oh, Bitcoin, as you're going into the old blockchain. Oh, Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, going to rain. Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name. told about the death of old Mount Gox, about traders trading altar coins and miners mining blocks. But them good old boys back in Illinois and on down through Tennessee, see they don't care to be a millionaire, they're just wanting to be free. Oh Bitcoin, as you're going into the old blockchain, oh Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, going to rain, till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name. A promise to deliver us from age-old tyranny Oh, Bitcoin, as you're going into the old blockchain Oh, Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, going to rain Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your Give me some exposure Everybody knows your name, sing it Oh, Lord, pass me some more Oh, Lord, before I have to go Oh, Lord, pass me some more Oh, Lord, before I have to go Here's the thing, I want to shift the conversation slightly because I think it's wrong to think about cryptocurrencies displacing fiat or measuring cryptocurrencies against the fiat they displace. That, okay. I think, is not the right way to look at it. Any more than we would look at the internet and say, well, how many phone lines and fax machines has the internet displaced. Well, it hasn't really displaced them. What it did was it rendered the entire paradigm obsolete and made the very measurement of internet in terms of phone lines and fax ludicrous and irrelevant. And so the question is, 
when do we start measuring Bitcoin, not in terms of it being worth $450, but in terms of one Bitcoin being worth one Bitcoin, and in terms of Bitcoin not displacing economic activity in fiat, but essentially enabling completely new models of economic activity that have nothing to do with the old paradigm and cannot even be measured in terms of the old paradigm. We're currently measuring cryptocurrencies in terms of the old paradigm because that's the context we have. And that's a bit like saying that the total value of the internet is the number of the users times how much they're paying for their DSL and cable modem connections, or how many bricks and mortar stores it's replaced. And again, that's completely missing the point. It enables entirely new ways of communicating. Well, Bitcoin enables entirely new ways of economic transactions and economic activity. So, from that perspective, I think it's wrong to look at whether a nation or a significant percentage of population have adopted Bitcoin. Let's look more at the possibility of having the first transnational community of economic activity on the internet that is independent of nation states and that exhibits elements of sovereignty through financial purchasing power on its own without the use of a sovereign currency. Uh, so that is far more interesting to me because it completely renders the old paradigm irrelevant and makes it unnecessary to measure ourselves by those metrics. I think one of the key things we're going to see is Bitcoin affecting some of the core capabilities within the internet. For example, monetizing and rewarding the creation of content, as well as building and paying for infrastructure for internet connectivity by making that infrastructure productive in terms of economic activity, because it now carries a currency over it. The other big milestones for me are the ability to disrupt the remittances market, enabling the transnational flows of currency from migrant workers to their home countries and families, which can have a very, very significant and immediate impact on poverty around the world, because that's one of the most exploitative markets in financial services. And the third one is enabling um, essentially uh, cryptocurrency IPOs where companies anywhere in the world can make public offerings of crypto stocks available to investors anywhere in the world without any barriers to entry and creating completely new economic activity by allowing for direct investment. So peer-to-peer -peer payments, peer-to-peer -peer remittances, peer-to-peer -peer crowdfunding as some of the first three major milestones for cryptocurrencies. I know that it may sound absurd, but I have, once again, for you, a magic word. And today the magic word is hunter. H-U-N-T-E-R. Hunter, as in the sentence, I am excited about Andrew Wagner and his evangelizing about Hunter coin. All the best to you, Andrew, as you game your way to fame. <laughs>